Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Let's see. So Dana was right. We're going to talk about Hanukkah. You know, Hanukkah made it out of clay, the dreidel, but not the menorah. So let me see. Yeah, I'll probably end up putting it on, on the table. but So... This is actually the first night. I was going to put all the candles out, and then I thought, well, it's the first night. Maybe we'll just do the first candle. So, um, whoops. Boy. You know what? Okay, so. Oops. Anyway some pretty ones here. So, um, first of all, I want to tell you about the menorah. This is my menorah. And um, it's got, it's got 12, you know, a place for eight candles. It's got the higher one in the middle, which is called the servant candle. And the servant candle is used to light the others, you know, in the same way that it's really Jesus who's lit our lights, you know. Um, and then we see the flames, but really these flames, it's an artistic design. Normally it would say something like Neskadol Hayasham, which means a great miracle happened there when they took the temple, you know, from the, from the, the Greeks, the Seleucids. And, um, when they took it, then... That was the major miracle, and then the oil lasting eight days is the minor miracle. So I'm going to put this candle right there in the um, the shamus or the servant, and I'm going to put this one um, right to left because, you know, us Americans have it all wrong. I mean, here we are. We're trying to read from left to right, and we should be reading from right to left, and whoops, I don't want to, gosh, just a minute. Well, some reason, it didn't, it doesn't want to go there, and I don't want the flames to uh, light the carpet on fire, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll just put in the second one there. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Okay. So this is my chumash, and I got this when I was bar mitzvah when I was thirteen, and uh, even though I have a young appearance, I'm no longer thirteen. <laughs> I just like you know. Okay. So. So this is the um, this is the blessing. 
Blessed art thou, o Lord our God, King of the universe, who has hallowed us by his commandments and commanded us to light the light of Hanukkah. Blessed art thou, o Lord our God, King of the universe, who didst work miracles for our fathers in the days of old at this season. Okay, so what, what we're going to do with this, what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about Hanukkah, but I want to talk about it, uh, you know, I want to um, describe some of the prophecies, you know, that were fulfilled by Hanukkah, and, uh, and just give some idea about uh, prophecies concerning the Jewish people and the nations, you know, from the book of Zechariah, I mean of Zaniel and Zechariah. And um, so, so we're going to flip through, in a, in a sense, the, uh, the chapters of um, Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 2, we have Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You'll remember from that Nebuchadnezzar was going to destroy all the wise men and the soothsayers and the magicians and because they wanted to interpret the dream without actually seeing the dream. But God gave to Daniel the dream and the interpretation, and Nebuchadnezzar was impressed by the God of Israel. And there was a, um, a head of fine gold, and then there was a chest and... Um, arms of silver, there was a belly and thigh of bronze, legs of iron and feet, and toes of both clay and iron. And, the, and Babylon, Babylon was the head of gold because, um, because Nebuchadnezzar, you know, because he could do anything. I mean, he owned, you know, the known world, and he had the power of life and death, and uh, he was considered that head. But Babylon was overcome by Medes Persia, you know, after Nebuchadnezzar's son, I think it was, you know, was drinking from those goblets from the temple. And so Medes Persia took over two arms. One was Medes, one was Persia. And then Greece came next with the belly and the thighs of bronze. They, um, you know, the, the Greeks overcame Medes Persia when Alexander the Great took them over. Um, around 500 BC, and then, 
And then succeeding Greece was Rome with its uh, legs of iron and its toes, you know, its ten toes. So when we get to chapter 7, we have, um, we have these four beasts. The first beast was um, a lion, and the lion had wings of eagles. Daniel says, I watched until its wings were torn off of it and lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human, and the mind of a human was given to it. So what does this mean? Well, this lion actually represented Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, because he would not give glory to God, God removed his sanity for a while so that he was like the beast of a field. He was on all four. He would eat the weeds and the, you know, the, you know, the, the you know, whatever is in a field. And the dew would fall upon him. And, um, but one day, one day God gave him his sanity. And then he stood on his two legs and he gave glory to the God of heaven. You know, he repented from his, um, from his arrogance and really arrogance against God is a form of insanity because we are made to be worshipers of God and not worshipers of ourselves. So then there was a second beast, and it was a bear. And it says, this is in chapter 7, it says, there was before me a second beast that looked like a bear. It raised up, it was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. Oh, well, I didn't. Anyway, um, so what was this? Sorry, so what was this? Well, this bear was um, meets Persia, and it was it was raised up on one of its sides, and that's because Persia gained dominance over the, you know the kingdom of the Medes, and then it had these three ribs and these three ribs represented three nations because Medes Persia conquered and overcame Babylonia it overcame a nation called Lydia which was a region in on the western side of um, present-day Turkey and it also overcame Egypt so the bear overcame you know I mean it came next and then the third one was a leopard, but this leopard, um, it had, it looked like a leopard, but it had four wings, and it also had four heads, and it was given the authority to rule. Well, what do leopards do? They run, and how fast do they run? They run very fast, and this represented Greece. And, um, and Alexander the Great. And it quickly, you know, Alexander the Great assumed power as king when he was 20, and he was dead by 29. But in those short years, nine years, he started conquering, starting in Greece, and he got all the way, all this land, all the way to India. 
but he died when he was 29 and he had no children. So there was no succession. So all this land was divided bef between four generals. And these four heads, you know, represent the four generals that divided the land, you know, the conquered land of, um, of Antiochus, I mean, of, of Alexander the Great. And then there was a fourth beast. And this beast was the most terrifying of all the beasts. And after that, in my vision, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, both terrifying, frightening, and very powerful. And it had iron teeth, and it crushed, and it devoured its victims, and it trampled underfoot whatever was left, and it was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And when I was thinking about the horns, there were before me another horn. This little horn came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted by it, and this horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Now, when you think of a mouth that speaks boastfully against God, this is... Um, this is has the spirit of Antichrist because, you know, God is God and, um, and it's Satan who seeks to usurp his power and his authority and his glory. So these four beasts are all also listed in Revelation chapter 13. There's a relationship between those. Um, Daniel 8 um, tells us more about what happened between these four lands controlled by these four generals. Well, I mean, you know, there was a, uh, there was a Ptolemy um, that controlled Egypt, but there were the Seleucids who controlled this area around Syria, maybe a bigger area around Syria. And, um, and so the Ptolemies actually controlled Israel. But then there was a war between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. The Seleucids were able to, um, to overcome, you know. And one of the things they did was they grabbed the beautiful land. And the beautiful land is the land of Israel. And the king was called Antiochus Biphnes. And he wanted to sort of... Um, cement his position by forcing the Jews to give up on their faith, their religion, their, their scriptures, you know, their temple. And so he oppressed them. And he oppressed them by, um, by um, you know, destroying the, you know, the Torahs and all that stuff wherever he could find them. But he also came into the temple itself and he took the blood of pigs, and you know, which is a uh, kosher, undetestable, you know, detestable creature, and he would throw pig's blood into the holy places, you know. And um, in the name Antiochus Epiphanes, the word epiphany means God manifest, and he was telling people that he was God. Well, when you say, I am God, you know, this is what the holy 
what the Antichrist is going to do in the temple. So, so what Antiochus Epiphanes did in the temple later on, you know, the Antichrist is going to do in the third temple. You know, this was the second temple. And so, um, and his, so anyway, um, there was a priest called Mattathias, and um, he was a godly man. And they wanted to, you know, this, this uh, Antiochus Epiphanes wanted to do his thing, but Mattathias stood up because he was defending, you know, who God was, and he was, he was willing to die for it, you know. And he, um, so, so I think he may have attacked one of the priests of the Seleucids. And, um, and he ran into the wilderness and he committed his family and then there are other people and, um, and there was a battle that would ensue. Now, I wanna go to, to uh, Daniel 9. Daniel 9 is about the 70 weeks of Daniel. And the 70 weeks, okay, so let me just read this um, thing from um, chapter, I mean, from verse 24 through 27. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish the wrongdoing, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy place. Well, when I see 70 weeks, I think of all of it. And to me, that brings us all the way to the end of the tribulation. And it brings us all the way to the beginning of the rule of reign on this earth with us, the church, ruling and reigning with Christ and um, in the beginning of the millennia, you know, when, when all the evil is going to be, you know, Jesus will come and, dis and destroy the Antichrist and then we'll have the rule of reign and Satan will be um, locked up for a thousand years. So that's, that's that part. It's just so that you're to understand that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and it will be built again with streets and moats. This is Jerusalem, even in times of distress. And then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is what happens. This is a 483 years, 69 times 7, 483 years. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah gets permission from the king of, um, of Persia, and, um, and he can start building, you know, building back Jerusalem. It's been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, but... So um, so anyway, he gets permission, and then 483 years from that date brings us all the way to the time of Jesus. Now, some people say 483 years brings us to the point where, um, um, where Jesus declares in, the, in his synagogue in his hometown, he says, I'm the fulfillment 
of Isaiah 61. You know, other people, you know, they add it up and they say, no, it takes us all the way to the point where Jesus was uh, walking, was on the donkey, you know, riding into Jerusalem with the palm tree, palm branches, and with the cloaks and the people saying, Hosanna to the Son on highest. But in any way, in any case, rather, it's one of the major prophecies, and it excludes any other would-be Messiah because it takes us all the way to the time of Jesus, not before and not after. You know, only he could have fulfilled that. So anyway, um, it also talks about devastation. It talks about time of distress. It talks about the people who will come and destroy, you know. That's because Jesus was rejected. And, um, and, you know, which was a big setup for the end of Israel. I mean, there was an additional 40 years until Titus. But it says, um, it will, okay, its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be wars and desolations to be determined. And then it says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offerings. So here we're talking about the final week between the 69 weeks, you know, and the 70th week is the age of the Gentiles. You know, Israel has rejected their Messiah, but the gospel has been spreading across the world. God's been saving millions of souls, you know, through the last 2,000 years. It's not been an unproductive time. Because it's, you know, Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. He came for the salvation of people all over the world. And all of us are fruits of that. But there will come this final week, and it, there will be a middle of it. Antichrist, you know, creates a covenant with Israel. Israel rebuilds the, the, the third temple, perhaps after the Gog and Magog war. And then... The Antichrist sits in the temple. He desecrates it. The Jews flee. And, um, and then there's, you know, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. <coughs> okay, so um, then we get to Daniel 11, 40 and 41. It says, at the time of the uh, kings of the south will attack him, and the king of the north will come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships, and he shall enter many countries and overwhelm them and pass through. And this is uh, really talking about the Seleucids, but really it's also talking about the Antichrist at the end. He shall also enter the glorious land, which is Israel. Many countries are overthrown. But these will escape his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. And this is really important. You know, people say that during the tribulation um, that the Jews will flee to the caves of Petra. But I want to tell you that there's millions of people, and it's hard to, to stuff millions of people into some caves. Plus, I want to tell you that um, in this age, caves don't protect from 
bombs and chemical weapons and, you know, bunker busters and, and all this kind of stuff. But God's hand, God's own hand can protect. And um, when it mentions Edom, Moab, and Ammon, it just means the area that's, you know, to the east of the Jordan River. And there will be a place where they can flee, where God will protect. You know what? God protects us too. I, I, this is an aside, but there used to be a, a secretary at New Covenant Church. And um, she married this monster husband. And uh, he got a, out of prison and... Um, he got drunk, and he was much younger than her, and he was going to attack her. And it was just her and him. But she yelled out, Jesus, help me. Help me, Jesus. His eyes widened. He looked at her, and he ran away. And she was protected. By the name of Jesus, she was protected. This is, this, sorry, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a mercy person. <laughs> so I can imagine what she was thinking. I can imagine the fear of God coming upon this man. And I can, so anyway, it, it, it's meaningful to me. I want to mention um, Zechariah 7. People are always saying, well, these, these Jews, you know, look what they did. They rejected Jesus. Didn't they know? Why did they do that? <laughs> but in Zechariah 7, 520 years before it happened, it, project, it, it, um, it was prophesied. It says, um, it says, but they refused to heed. <clears throat> they shrugged their shoulders. They stopped their ears so that they could not hear. They made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law. And the words of the Lord of hosts that he had sent to them through his spirit, through the former prophets, and therefore great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. In other words, Jesus was grieved that they wouldn't listen. Not all, but most, many, that they wouldn't listen. And um, they made their hearts like flint. You know, God wants our hearts to be hearts of flesh toward him. And he wants to write on our hearts. But it was prophesied that they would make their hearts flint and that they would stop up their ears. In um, Matthew 23, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. For this I say to you, that you will see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, you know what? They have not yet said that, and Jesus has not yet come back. But there will be a time during the tribulation where there's little hope, little seeming hope, and the nations are all against Israel, all against Jerusalem, but Jesus fights for them. And then they look at him and they say, oh, my gosh, what have we done? And um, and that's when Jesus comes back, and that's when, um, you know, 
I mean, we're in a way, it's good for us that he hasn't come back. It's good for us that there were that the hearts have remained like stone because um, that has allowed time for the gospel to go over around the world. But um, that doesn't last forever because in Matthew or Zechariah twelve it says. Behold, I make Jerusalem a cup of reeling to all the peoples, and it will be on. It will also be on Judah, and the siege against Jerusalem will happen. That on that day, that I'll make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the peoples. All who gather themselves with it will be severely wounded, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. Well, you say all the nation, even the United States? Well, let me tell you that the, um, the, the globalists, you know, the, and the one world and the, and the Antichrist when he becomes like the king of the world or something, um, the United States will, all the nations will be losing sovereignty and one will be lifted up and gain control. That's what I think, I believe that it says. So all these nations come against Jerusalem. They want to divide Jerusalem. I want to ask you, who out there is trying to divide Moscow or Washington, D.C., or London, or Paris, or Berlin, or Beijing, or any other city, you know? Why Jerusalem? And why is it that, that little Israel, you know, which is one one-thousandth of the world's population, gets... You know, 80 or 80 percent of the rebukes, you know, of the United Nations. Why are they all? Aren't there other nations that are that are coming against people that are doing things that are, you know, wicked to their own populations? You know, it's because there's something supernatural. It's because heaven is God's throne and Jerusalem is his footstool, and Jerusalem itself is owned by God, and Satan is at continual war trying to destroy the things of God on this earth. It says, I'll pour out on, my, on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Then they will look at me, whom they have pierced, and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So the salvation of Israel is prophesied in 12, the rejection, Zechariah 12, and the rejection was prophesied in, in Zechariah 7. When we get to Zechariah um, 14, 1 through 4, it talks about the attack on the nation. Behold, <coughs> The day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your mists. It says, sorry, <laughs> it says, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravaged. Half the city goes into captivity. The remnant will not be cut off from the city. And then look at this. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two. 
When he goes to, um, to fight for Israel, he comes on a white horse. His eyes are like flames of fire. He's mad. And he has a tongue that's like a sword. And God created all things by his word. And he can use his word, the word of his mouth, to destroy the works of the enemy. And behind Jesus are his saints. And we're riding white horses. And we're clothed in robes with white linen. These robes are not covering up sin. But these are robes that are the righteous, the white linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And all of us are created for good works. It says that in Ephesians 2. So we're coming. It's better to see the back of his head because the front of his head are facing the enemy. And we're not doing the destroying. Jesus is doing the destroying but we're coming to earth, and, um, and Jesus is going to restore all things. In Romans eleven twenty five to 27, it says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinions, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. And then Paul is quoting Jeremiah 31, and it says, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So it's all in the plan of God. You know, I... Um, you know, it's too bad for the hardness of heart. God did not give them a hardness of heart, I don't think. But there was something in that religious system which made people think that um, that they could perfect themselves. And, and, um, and so they created some sort of idolatry. So now we're going to just um, talk a little bit about Hanukkah itself. And... Um, so Hanukkah, so the, the, um, the conquest by Antiochus Epiphania was in 168 or, or maybe before that, and then Mattathias in 168 decided that he was going to resist. So then Mattathias was killed not that much longer afterwards, you know, but his son Judah Maccabee, took over, and after Judah Maccabee, then came Jonathan. So this was one thing, because um, Mattathias was a priest, and uh, because he was a priest, we know that he came from the tribe of Levi. And because Mattathias was a priest, and Judah and Jonathan, his sons, were also priests, from, and yet they also assumed the kingship of the land. So it was... So the kingships were always given to the tribe of Judah and the, um, and the priesthood to the tribe of Levi. When they became king, they were both kings and priests. So, of course, this alarmed certain people 
But, um, you know, but Melchizedek earlier had been both a king and a priest. The word melech in Hebrew is king, and tzedek is righteousness. He was a righteous king, you know, and... Um, and then Judah and his brother, uh, Jonathan, they were, you know, and then Jesus was, you know, both a king and a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But anyway, um, I want to read to you this, uh, let's see, from my Chumash. <laughs> it says, um, it says, the history of Hanukkah is given in 1st and 2nd Maccabees, uh, two books of the Apocrypha, the collection of the ancient Jewish writings that have remained outside the sacred canon of Scripture. 21 centuries ago, Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes held sway over Palestine and opened the long and sinister list of religious persecutions. He turned the temple of Jerusalem into a heathen shrine. The Jewish population were everywhere ordered to public, to offer public sacrifices to idols. You know, this kind of reminds me of Jeroboam and Manasseh. Those who refused to do so, who observed Jewish rites or found, were found in possession of books of scripture were consigned to torture and death. And this sounds like the Antichrist spirit to me. Israel was to give an yet another lesson of infinite worth to the children of men. And I want to tell you that God created Israel to speak to people. You know, that's why the prophets and the disciples and the Messiah himself, you know, you know, David and um, the willingness to bear testimony to the truth at what, whatever cost, ready to lay down life itself for a sacred cause, in a word, martyrdom. You know, I want to uh, remind you that, um, that in the first and second Maccabees, many places you hear about holocausts. You know, in Israel, there was sin offerings, and then there were burnt offerings, and burnt offerings were, were a uh, fragrant aroma to God. And the reason why they, um, you know, why they called the Jewish genocide of World War II a holocaust was because they were willing to bear testimony at the to the truth at whatever cost and lay down their lives for, for a sacred sacred cause. And so they they called that a, a holocaust. It was a way of honoring uh, the Jewish people in the most tragic of circumstances. It says the Jewish people produced in those days of terror the first murders in history, the story of the murder mother and her seven sons all of whom prefer death to dishonor and reflects the indomitable steadfastness that animated the local remnant in those days. Judaism will ever cherish the answer of the aged priest 
Metathias, the father of the Maccabees, to the row of representatives. <laughs> Sorry, this is emotional. Um, Therefore, all the nations that are under the king obey him and fall away everyone from the religion of the king's dominion or fall away from the religion of their fathers. And yet will I and my sons and my brethren walk in the covenant of our fathers. If everybody else des deserts the Lord, then we make a decision that we and our son, our brethren, walk in the covenant of God that he's given to us. Mattathias and his five sons rallied the faithful around them, unfurled the standard of revolt, and this was in the year 168, three years to the day which the temple was profaned by the blaspheming foe, Kislev, the 25th, 165 B.C. Judah Maccabee and his brethren triumphantly entered the holy city they purified the temple and their kindling of the lights during the eight-day festival of dedication, which is Hanukkah in the Hebrew, is a telling reminder year by year of the rekindling of the lamp of true religion in their time. And theirs was a war for principle and conviction and not for glory or conquest. So... So as, um, you know, as Donna said, you know, eight days, the oil lasted eight days. You know, for Israel and for the Jewish people, Hanukkah and, and Masada are powerful symbols of resistance. You know, under the Pope and under, you know, Pope Innocent, you know, around 1000 AD and under Hitler, the they made those stars yellow, but they weren't yellow. I mean, they were um, valiant, you know, where they could be. Um, you know, when God gives victories, you know, then, then you don't need very many people. I mean, um, Gideon only needed 300 when God was, you know, the same thing with, um, with uh, Hezekiah and, and Jehoshaphat and Esther you know, when God is on your side, when Christ is in us, you know, we have a hope of glory. I just want to say that. Um, Ezekiel 37, 36 and 37 are about the Valley of Dry Bones. This is about Israel. You know, those bones were never drier when the number, when um, so many were killed in the war. You know, the only one who's, you know, they had no hope. The only nation that would um, supply Israel with arms in 1948 was Czechoslovakia. You know, they had, their air force was one or two crop duster planes. It was absolutely impossible. And yet it was God's timing and they won. You know, in, in, um, in chapter seven of Revelation, 144,000 Jews dwell from every nation, evangelizing the world. In the same chapter, we have um, people from every tribe, kindred, and nation in this world. You know, before the throne, we have 
four living creatures with four wings, which is an act of humility. You know, they cover their faces, and yet their bodies are covered with eyes, I think, to perceive the goodness of God, I think, to see God. And then the elders with their crowns, and then the people worshiping the Lord, a sense of holiness, you know, God giving us light, the glory of God. You know, there's no fear, there's no violence, there's no um, sin there. You know, that's where we're all heading. I want to, sorry, <laughs> the last thing I want to say here, really, before we get into an ending blessing. Let me, um, well, I can, you know, it says in Isaiah 66 too, which is one of my favorite verses, you know, who does God esteem but the one who's humble? contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. You know, we're to be humble because Jesus was humble. You know, he, the Lord of glory, went to the cross naked, naked and, and, and whipped and bruised. You know, he, he was silent before his shearers, and he did this for us. You know, um, he... Uh, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And he wants us to be humble. It also says that we need to be contrite of heart, which means that we have to be willing to change, you know. We're not going to say, well, we're gonna, I'm going to do it my way. Sorry, that was Frank Sinatra, <laughs> but not the children of God. Um, we learn God's ways, and we are conformed to the image of Jesus because we've, we're learning God's ways. And then it says that, um, you know, that we tremble at his word. When God has spoken, then we believe it. And, uh, you know, trembling at his word to me means we don't slough it off. If God said it, it will happen. It will happen. But this, the globalists in this world are trying something else. You know, they're, not, they're looking for humility that doesn't come out of honor of God. But, but out of threats and domination, I see my candle. It's, maybe I can finish before that thing goes. Anyway, um, you know, they're, they're looking, you know, the social credit score, they're looking to humble people in their way. And instead of, you know, we're contrary of heart because God has written his law in our heart, they would... What they would do is they would um, use endless propaganda to convince us and to persuade us. And, and, and when it comes to trembling at God's word, what they would have us to do is they would plot and plan and they would come up with climate change and they would come up with this stuff. And, and Mother Earth and bowing to Mother Earth, you know, trembling before Mother Earth because Satan tries to counterfeit. God, but as long as we spend time in the word, that word can be an anchor for our souls. And uh, so I want to just say the blessing. Before I do, I just want to um, pray, Father God, we just ask that you would use us, Lord, that we would serve you, that we would love you, Lord God, that we would know you and that you would bless us and bless our children, bless those who would come through us, 
Bless those around us, Lord God. We're just asking that um, our lives would be testimonies to you and that people would see Jesus in us. And here's the ironic blessing from number six. It says, Yivrechecha Adonai Vayishmerecha. The Lord bless you and keep you. Ya'ar Adonai Panav Alecha Vichunecha. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. Yisa Adonai Panav Lecha Yasim Lecha Shalom. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you all. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.